0: Uh, Could you turn with me please to our Old Testament reading to Ezekiel chapter 37 Ezekiel chapter 37 uh, and we're going to be looking uh, at that passage Ezekiel 37 verses 15 to the end Let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your spirit through your word Uh, Please we ask would you speak to us in this passage today Uh, help us to see Um, uh, not only what it meant for ancient Israel, uh, but the implications for us. Uh, Help us to see Jesus, to love him, appreciate him, uh, and to live our lives to serve and please him. Uh, So we commit this time to you. Uh, Help me to speak rightly uh, and in the power of your spirit, and by your spirit, work in all who hear, uh, whether uh, in person or online. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been in a situation where you felt really lost, and you felt like there's actually nowhere for you to go? Maybe you felt like you're all alone with, with no place to belong, and you can not see how the situation would ever get any better. Well, the first people to hear the words in our passage today would have felt a lot like that. Uh, They had been living in exile in Babylon for about 10 years. God had told them to settle down there, but many of them were hoping that one day they will go home. But the news had just come back in chapter 33 that there was now no more home to go back to. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. And it would have felt like they were all alone. They are in a foreign land, and now there's no hope of ever returning home. And all that was because of God's judgment. But how did it come to this? How do we get to this point? Well, back at the beginning, Adam and Eve had been God's people, in God's place, the Garden of Eden, under God's blessing and rule. But they rebelled against God. God brought his judgment upon them. They were expelled from the Garden. They are no longer living in God's presence in his place under that that wonderful blessing, but instead living in a world under curse, with sin and death and toil and pain, a world of frustration and emptiness and injustice, a world that is so, so different from the way it was meant to be, our world. But nearly a thousand years before this passage today, God had rescued a group of slaves from Egypt in fulfillment of his promises to their forefathers. He had brought them out and said that he would be their God and they would be his people. He made a covenant with them as he brought them into their promised land. And if they obeyed him in the land, then they would experience his blessings. But if they rebelled against him, they would experience his curse and ultimately be removed. But like Adam and Eve, Israel sinned. They turned away from God, they turned to idols, and God brought judgment upon them. Initially they were divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and then the northern kingdom had been sent into exile more than a hundred years before Ezekiel's time, and then ten years before this prophecy was given, Ezekiel and the smaller group from this southern kingdom went into exile in Babylon. And Israel had been prophesying to this small group in exile in Babylon that the majority of the country, back in their land, would also ganah. And this group, the Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, that southern kingdom, would also be destroyed. And now this has just happened. The southern kingdom was utterly ruined, the rest of the people taken into exile. And even though God had promised David that his dynasty would last forever, the Davidic king was no longer on the throne. All God's messages of judgment had been fulfilled and now it feels like there is no hope at all. But on the other side of the judgment, God is now giving Ezekiel a message of hope for the future. Uh, in the first half of Ezekiel 37, he saw a valley of dry bones. And those dry bones came alive again. And God said he would raise Israel from the dead as a nation. And he would do that by giving them life, spiritual life, by giving them his spirit. And then that brings us to our passage today, La, which is telling us more about what God would do. Have a look at our passage. In verse 16 of our passage, God tells Ezekiel to take two sticks. Right, The first stick is for Judah, the southern kingdom. And the second stick is for Joseph or Ephraim, different names for the northern kingdom. And so God says, join them together in your hand to become one stick. And when people ask you what this means, you say to them, verse 19, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm going to take the stick of Joseph that is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel associated with him, the northern kingdom, and I will join it with the stick of Judah, the southern kingdom, And make them one stick, that they may be one in my hand. And so he's going to hold the sticks in front of them, and deliver this message. Verse 21. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will take the people of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from all around and bring them into the land. And I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them. And they shall no longer be two nations, no longer divided into two kingdoms. And so these two nations are going to come together in the land. They're going to be united under one king. And when this king reigns, they will turn away from sin. God will wash away their guilt and make them clean. Verse 23, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backsliding in which they have sinned. And I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. How great is this going to be? And who's going to be that one king under whom God saves and changes his people? Verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. But David, that greatest king of united Israel from hundreds of years before this, The man after God's own heart will be their king, and they will truly obey God's law. Verse 24 continues, they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They will live in the promised land, verse 25, they shall dwell in the land I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers live, they and their children their children's children shall dwell there forever, David my servant shall be their prince forever. God will make a new covenant with them. Verse 26, I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And not only will God bless them in the land, but his temple will be there. Verse 26 continues, I will set them in the land and multiply them. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the end result is God's glory. Verse 28, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So what's these promises? One reunited nation, one king, David, who will reign forever. God will wash them clean from their sin on the inside. He will do something that they would obey his rules and his statutes and his laws and they will walk in his ways. They will multiply in uh, in number uh, under God's blessing. They will live in the promised land, God's place forever. God will be with them in the sanctuary, the temple. He will dwell with them forever. And best of all, God will be their God, and they will be his people. And the nations will know that he is God when he makes Israel holy. The people who are Naxah, who had no hope, now have the promise of a glorious future. Now how would God fulfill these promises? Well he would do so in a much better way than you might expect. In the book of Acts, after his death and resurrection, the disciples ask Jesus a question. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's a good question, isn't it? It relates to this passage. Jesus told them not to worry about timing, But that they would first be his witnesses in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. And then he ascended to heaven in a cloud, showing that he is the king that God has placed over the whole world. But how does that connect to the restoration of the kingdom? Well, think carefully with me. Jerusalem and Judea. They were what was left of the southern kingdom. And the Jews, the people of Jerusalem and Judea, well, they were the ones who came in first. The first believers were Jewish Christians. Jews who trusted in Jesus as their Messiah, as their King. Now, not all of them believed by any means. But in Israel's history, it has always been a minority who are the true Israel, the true believers. And so the kingdom of God was King Jesus, the son of David, has the references to David in the prophecy, and his Jewish people who believed in him. Right? Stage one. And the next stage, what happened? Well, the gospel went out to the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the remnants of the northern kingdom. And when people from Samaria came to trust in Jesus, they too came under his kingship. They too came into his kingdom. Stage two. Now, not all of them believed, by any means. But in Israel's history, it's always been a minority who are the true Israel, the true believers. And so by the end of the next stage in Acts, we have the true Israel from the southern kingdom and the true Israel from the northern kingdom under one king, King Jesus. On the throne was the descendant of David, the one whom actually David is pointing forward to. And so the true Israel was restored. The sticks were stuck together, just as Ezekiel prophesied. And God dwelt with his people in this true Israel by his Spirit, just as he said. They were made holy, as he said, washed clean on the inside by the blood of his Son who died for them. They were given an eternal covenant, as he said, a new covenant in Jesus' blood, in which God promised to give them his Spirit, to write his law on their hearts, to remember their sin no more. And empowered by his Spirit, they walked in his rules and obeyed his command from the inside, as he said. Ezekiel 37 is being fulfilled. And then God went one step further than what he told Ezekiel here. There's a hint of it in Ezekiel 37. Remember what happens when God restores Israel? Look at the last verse in the chapter. He says, then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel. And remember what Jesus said in Acts? Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. And that's what happened, isn't it? First people from the southern kingdom, then people from the northern kingdom came under King Jesus. True Israel was restored as the kingdom of God. And then the gospel went out to the Gentiles. And they saw what God had done for his people. And people who weren't from Israel also believed and were brought in. And so now we have Jews and Samaritans, even Gentiles who believe in Jesus as part of this kingdom. And in this kingdom we are God's people. We are in God's place in Christ. God dwells among us by his Spirit. And King Jesus rules us by His Spirit, through His Word. Right now, however, we and all the other believers who are alive are, well, we're still in this world. We live in the overlap of the ages. The prophecy has been fulfilled, but we are waiting for the ultimate fulfillment. We've been given new life in the Spirit, but we still have our sinful natures. The Spirit leads us to obey God from the heart, but we we still struggle with sin. Jesus is our King, and we have every spiritual blessing in Him, but but we still feel the effects of the curse in the world and in our lives. But one day, all that will be over. When Jesus returns to judge the world, the kingdom will be seen in all its fullness. There will be a final resurrection. Those who are still in rebellion or who have died in rebellion will be lost forever. But those who are in the kingdom, whether they are alive or dead, when Jesus returns, will enjoy eternal life with him. Where we will be God's people, in God's place, that new creation, the real place that the, the land was actually pointing forward to. In God's very presence, the real presence, in which the temple and the tabernacle were actually pointing forward to. Under Jesus, our shepherd, The true king that David was actually pointing forward to. In this place where sin and the curse and all the consequences of that are gone forever. And there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And where we will obey God perfectly from the heart. That is the ultimate blessing. And that is what this is really about. Now, what about today? What are the implications of this for us in our, in our daily lives today? Well, let's think about it. First of all, looking back, the passage reminds us just how grateful we should be to be part of God's people. Remember, all these promises were for Israel. Most of us were from the nations. But when God saved his Jewish people by bringing them under Jesus as Messiah in fulfillment of prophecies, we saw what he did. We saw how great God is who made them holy, and we believed in him as well. And God brought us in, made us part of his people. We were the pendatang, who have been given the full and equal citizenship in the kingdom of God in every way. And so all the promises to Israel became ours. And we can be so grateful. Don't be jealous that other people have privileges that you don't have. Don't keep thinking you can't do anything because you've been dealt a lousy hand. Stop being grumpy and be grateful. If you are in Christ, you are one of God's people. You can't get better than that. And you are an heir to the wonderful promises of God. And when you look back and see how God has kept his promises so far, you can have full confidence that he would continue to do so. If you are in Christ, you have every reason to be grateful. Say thank you to God every day. And if you're not a believer, then just look and see what God has done for those who belong to him. Marvel at how great and good the God of Israel really is. And leave your idols behind and worship him secondly right now it reminds us that our sin does not define us anymore uh, the dominant thing about israel at the time was that they were a people under judgment and everything about their lives reflected that they wake up in the morning they're living in exile they're just everything but this prophecy Promises the day when that will no longer be the case. And for us who believe that day has dawned, yes, we still live in a world that's still under the curse of the fall, yes, we still live outside the garden, and yes, that spoils our relationships, our work, our enjoyment of creation, yet already that does not define us anymore. We are forgiven. We are born of the Spirit. We still struggle against sin, but we don't live in and under it anymore. God has already given us His Spirit so that we want to obey Him from the heart. And best of all, God already accepts us as clean because Jesus died for us and the blood of Christ washes away all our sins. Yes, we are still in the fight against sin. And we must fight on. Never give up in your fight against sin in your life. Never think, ah, oh, yeah, this is just a problem I have. I'll just learn to live with it and make it up with, you know, by doing better things in other areas. No, 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 no. God saves His people that they might walk in His rules and be careful to obey His statutes. But we continue to fight. But it does not define us. Sin and judgment does not define us. We are God's people. It's another thing to be grateful for. And finally, looking forward means we have hope. For like the exiles that Ezekiel was first speaking to, we also can go through times when it seems like that we are lost. Maybe sometimes feels like we'll never get to do some of those things we were able to do as normal before the pandemic. We may have lost friends or family members or loved ones. May have lost work or ministry or business and it feels like there's no future. We may be victims of someone else's sin or fear. And it feels like we are isolated for no fault of our own. Or maybe we have sinned in a grievous way and even though we've repented and God has forgiven us, we're still facing the consequences of our action. We've got nowhere to go. Well, brothers and sisters, in Jesus, we have hope for the future. You are not lost forever if you have a home. And if you are trusting in Jesus, then you do have a home, a wonderful home. And one blessed day, he will bring you home, where all God's people will be together again, under Jesus as our King. Where sin and all its consequences will be gone forever. And we are able to love and obey God perfectly. Where God is our God and we are his people forever. We have hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in your Son Jesus Christ, you have given us a true faith and a sure hope. Strengthen this faith and hope in us all our days, that we may live as those who believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection to eternal life through your Son. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.